The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. Good morning, recruits. Just making sure you're awake. Glad that most of you survived your first mission week one. Welcome back. Some of you have been recruited since week one, and uh, you have been brought to either the Cooper City headquarters or here to the West Pines headquarters. And you're wondering what you're doing here and um, what you've been recruited to. Those are all good questions. Hopefully, by recruited, you were not kidnapped and brought here against your will. But uh, we are in the midst of a training, five-week training so that you can become a fully licensed agent. Each week you are given a mission, and if you successfully accomplish that mission each week for the next, uh, all five weeks, you will become a fully licensed agent. And so uh, hopefully you are able to accomplish your first mission. If you are here and this is your first time, you have not yet seen mission one, Uh, at the guest services, both at the Cooper City headquarters and here at the West Pines headquarters, you can go to guest services and pick up the file from week one so that you can accomplish uh, your week one mission. Only if you accomplish all five missions will you become a fully licensed agent. Now, the lesson for this morning is all about the significance of the mission that you are given as agents The mission that you are given, that I am given as an agent, is of the highest priority, and we cannot let anything get in the way of accomplishing our mission. We have to be able to withstand all types of situations and withstand them to accomplish the mission that we are given. And um, to illustrate that, I think there is, it's helpful, there's a particular agent. Now, this particular agent is fictional. However, you may have heard of this agent before. He goes by the name of James Bond, 007. And um, I thought it would be helpful, even though a fictional agent, I thought it would be helpful for us to take a look at all of the things that this agent over the years has allegedly survived. This is a list of the things, and I tried to put together for you an exhaustive list of what, the th- what uh, 007 James Bond survived, and I believe that is impossible. So I've put together this short list of some of the dangers that he faced and overcame because of how critical his mission was. Let me read through the list. He was shot at and shot multiple times. He was in innumerable Uh, car chases, several car crashes. He escaped from exploding buildings. He escaped sharks, spiders, snakes, a bull, a tiger, crocodiles, and Komodo dragons. He was put in a centrifuge and whirled around at G-forces that could kill any human except, of course, for James Bond. He drank poison. He was dragged behind a speedboat. They drilled into his skull. He was nearly cut in half by a laser. He was thrown into a frozen river. He stopped his own heartbeat. He jumped out of planes multiple times, including once without a parachute. Jumped out of a hot air balloon. He actually rode a motorcycle off a cliff, boarded a plane in midair, and saved it from crashing into the rocks below. 
Lastly, there is one moment where he is shot while on a moving train, falls off a bridge, unconscious, plunges 150 feet below, unconscious, into the water, and yet survives. That is a list of some of the dangers that 007 faces. And it's notable that this particular agent at no point says, you know what? I think that's enough. I'm done. He always completes his mission and then will get recruited for another mission. He's willing to face any danger because he knows how critical his mission is. Now, that is going to be an important component for what we are talking about today. Hopefully, you brought your, uh, your manual today, your agent's manual. Maybe you have it, a physical copy, or you have it on your computational device. If you have um, your manual, open to the section known as John. We're going to look at the very beginning of that section. If you did not bring your manual today, luckily for you, I have my slide projector here. And I'm going to project this on the screen. Um, and we are going to take a look at uh, John in just a moment. But let me get you caught up. Last week, what we talked about is the very beginning of John. Here's how John begins his account about the book, about the person of Jesus. It's unique compared to the other individuals that give an account of the person of Jesus. For example, Mark starts his account with the ministry of John the Baptist. And then he goes into the ministry of Jesus. Luke actually goes back farther than that and starts at actually the birth of John the Baptist and then goes into the birth of Jesus. He go, we have uh, Mary and Joseph and Bethlehem and shepherds coming. Matthew goes back even farther than that and he starts with the genealogy of Jesus, where he came from, his line, and how God has been preparing for this individual, the ultimate promised Messiah and King to come. And then it goes into Mary and Joseph and the whole birth story. But John goes back the farthest. He goes all the way back to the very, very beginning of time. He says, in the beginning, when there was nothing else, there was just God. And there was the, there was the Son, who is the ultimate. He's the, the ultimate unifier of the universe. He's the expression of God's power and authority, the revelation of God himself. He says, in the beginning was our triune God, the three persons that make up one God, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, in the beginning was that second person of the Trinity, the Son. And God sent the Son of God. God the Father sent God the Son to earth. And it says he put on flesh. The fancy word for that theologically is incarnational. Jesus put on flesh. He was incarnate, God in the flesh, and he came to this world to save us. And what we talked about last week is Jesus, God in the flesh, came to save us, and in the same way he sends us incarnationally into the world. Now, he picks up this theme, and we're going to jump in to John chapter 1, and we are going to pick it up in verse 4. Let's check out the slide up here. It says this, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. 
He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now let's take a look at what this is talking about. The first thing that it says here is that Jesus who came, the Son of God, Jesus who came, it says, is the light, and that light came to bring life. Now, we're going to be talking about this a little bit more next week, but here's what I want you to imagine. If you've ever been in a dark room or a dark closet and you're feeling around trying to find where the light switch is, maybe you've never been in that room before. If you're in your house, you kind of know right about where the light switch is, but if you're walking into a place you've never been before, you go and you find a, a wall, you follow that wall where usually light switches are, then maybe you go the other way and you're feeling around, you hope you don't knock into something, you're kind of groping your way through the dark trying to find a way to turn on the light. And John uses this light and dark theme a lot, and he's using darkness to describe humanity. He says, essentially, it's like darkness, like all of humanity is in the dark, and we're all in it together. And we're feeling our way through, like, hey, I think this is the way. Hey, come over here. I think I found it. I think this is the way. And then maybe we, we, we feel over here, no, I think this is the way. And we're in the dark. We're in the dark about how to find happiness and how to find love and how to find purpose and how to find fulfillment and, and how to find joy and how to find peace and security and safety and comfort. And we're kind of feeling our way through this, feeling our way through marriages and feeling our way through parenting and feeling our way through our careers and feeling our way through, through the whole life cycle. And we're feeling our way through, hoping that we find something. And if we we find something, we kind of say, okay, I'm going to stay on this path because I think I found it. But what John says is when God himself, the son of God, came to earth, he came as the light. The intention is it, it's like it flips on the light switch in someone's life and shows them the way. You say, okay, well, how... In what way is, is Jesus the light? What exactly is he illuminating? And before he details that out, he goes to the person of John. Now, there is a John writing this book. That's John the disciple, one of the followers of Jesus. But he's going to write here about another John by the name of John the Baptist, different John. And he, like the other gospels, talk about, like, start with this guy who's so incredibly important because he was, this person was prophetically anticipated from the Old Testament. And he says, there was a guy named John. And John was bearing witness to the light. In fact, what we find out a little bit later is when John saw Jesus, John said, behold, look, he called Jesus the Lamb of God. What was Jesus primary way he was bringing light to the darkness in the world? Is he just kind of like the ultimate life coach? Kind of the ultimate therapist? The ultimate motivational speaker to just help you know what is the right decision and what's the wrong decision? I mean, don't get me wrong, his teachings, I mean, God in the flesh, the word himself coming to earth and actually teaching. I mean, his, his teachings are the, the ultimate expression of truth. But that's not fundamentally why he came. 
He came to be the lamb. And what that means, what John the Baptist is witnessing to is that God sent someone to be a sacrifice. Why do we need a sacrifice? Because the ultimate darkness that we're in is our own sin. And every single person, how we stand before almighty God, the creator, the one who rules and upholds and keeps in existence and keeps alive the whole universe. Each one of us have sin in our life. Each one of us have ways we've said, no, God, this is how I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to respond this way. I'm going to handle um, my relationships this way. I'm going to handle my goals and career this way. And each one of us have ways that we've disobeyed God. And if God is the ultimate almighty being in the universe, then that disobedience is treason. And the ultimate capital crime for treason against an infinite God is when we die and stand before God in judgment is an infinite, infinite existence away from God. But God didn't want to leave it like that. So he sent God the Father, sent God the Son to be the Lamb, to be the sacrifice. The only hope for salvation. And he sent Jesus to die on a cross at Passover time when they're sacrificing lambs. His followers, like John, the writer of this, saw him dead, they put him in a tomb, and on the third day he rose again from the grave. He was God in the flesh. The fact that he was in the flesh means that he could be a representative from humanity because he was fully human. He could be a representative for our behalf. But if he's just a man, he can maybe be a one-for-one sacrifice. He can trade places with one person, but it's not just fully human. He's fully God in the flesh. So that means he can be an infinite sacrifice for all who believe. John the Baptist uh, comes and says, behold the Lamb of God. And he says what it says here in this chapter, and that, that was his witness, what it says in this chapter is the purpose for sending John is that all might believe. The idea of believing is the essence of taking the step of finding salvation. You want to know how to get to heaven when you die. It's taking a step and believing in the person of Jesus that he died and rose again, that he was the sacrifice on your behalf. And when you believe that Jesus died for you, it's not just about doing the, doing the right thing. It's not just, I mean, the essence of the Bible is not just get more religious or act more like a Christian. The essence of the Bible is we need to be rescued and saved. And God sent the son to be the lamb, the sacrifice, so we could be saved. And when we believe in him, that transforms every sector of our life. And we begin following Jesus, not only our savior, but our Lord, our king. And it affects every part of our life. Now, here's what, it, here's what it says. It says that he sent John to be a witness, to bear witness about Jesus that we might believe, that we might believe in him and find salvation. Now, that word witness is significant for a couple of reasons. I want you to think about um, how we use the word witness. We first use, there's, there's two things we associate with the word witness. The first one is we say witness as in like, I saw something, I witnessed something. It's that I experienced something. The, 
For example, um, there's something that I witnessed. I did not witness it live, but I witnessed it live on TV. I wasn't there, but I witnessed it uh, live on TV. It took place in 1994. It was um, the Miami Dolphins, and they were playing uh, in New York. And it's not the Giants that they were playing. They were playing the other team that shall not be mentioned. The Dolphins were down. It was late November. The Dolphins were down by three points. But Dan Marino was getting the ball back. End of the fourth quarter. And so all of us who are Dolphin fans are leaning forward on our couches, knowing that anything is possible when you put the ball in Dan Marino's hands. And sure enough, the Dolphins start driving down the field. Clock is ticking. It's now under a minute. They're driving down the field. Dan Marino throws to Mark Ingram, first down on the 10. And the clock is running out, so Dan Marino runs to the line. And he says, clock, clock, clock. And he does the spike motion. Clock, clock, clock. And, and all the Jets, they, everyone knows they're going to spike it. They're going to kick a field goal tie the game before the clock runs out and everyone, all Dolphins fans say, I can't believe it, we're going into overtime, this is incredible. And Dan Marino says, clock, 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 and he comes uh, under center and they hike the ball. And guess what Dan Marino did not do? He did not spike the ball. He backs up. Mark Ingram runs into the end zone. He throws a bullet to Mark Ingram. He falls into the end zone. And all, all the Dolphin fans in that stadium are cheering. It sounded like all 75,000 fans in that stadium were cheering. I personally was cheering as if I was 75,000 fans in my living room. He had done it that caught the Jets by surprise, and it turns out that was a trick play, and when he yells, clock, 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 Mark Ingram knew what that meant. It meant go to the end zone. Dolphins defeated that particular team that we love when they defeat, um, defeated that team, and I witnessed it myself. Okay, witness. There are key moments in your life you can say, I witnessed that. Part of what witness means is that you take it in. You saw it. You experienced it. But there's a second thing we associate with being a witness. It's not just that you observed it. A witness is someone who then shares that. They testify. Their actual, the fact that they witnessed is part of the evidence that it is true. And this is a fundamental reflex of humanity. I want you to think about you're sitting with some friends outside. It's nighttime and you're all talking and all of a sudden in the sky, you see a shooting star. You almost immediately, no matter what's happening in the conversation, you almost immediately say, oh my goodness, I just saw a shooting star. You don't have to think about it. You don't pause and calculate does this person, are they interested in shooting stars? Is this a good point in the conversation to bring up shooting stars? You don't do that. You just say it. If you are on a boat with your friends and you're all sitting around and you're deep in conversation and you happen to notice clearly just over that person's shoulder, a whale breach the water, go fully into the sky and splash down behind them. You don't just tuck that away as a private need experience. How special. But they're in the middle of a conversation. I don't want to interrupt. The reflex of humanity is like, oh my 
goodness, I just saw, did you see, did anyone see that? That was a whale right there, just breached out of the water. There is a reflex. In fact, if you were in that boat and saw the whale splash and no one else was there, you'd be bummed. Why? You actually might have gotten a better view because your friend's not in the way. But you'd be bummed. You'd be like, who did, can I, you're calling up your friend, like you just, you need to share it. In fact, the, the experience actually doesn't feel complete until you have someone to share it with, right? You can't wait to get into cell service. You won't believe what just happened. Like I, I just saw a whale jump. I mean, a witness, you associate two things. One, if you witnessed something, you take it in. But the second part of it, the second thing we associate with witnessing something is that you share it. You bear witness to what you saw. You take it in and you share it. Well, this is what John the Baptist is. This was his mission. God sent John the Baptist. This was his mission. You will go. For hundreds of years, it was prophesied, one will come. He will be the witness that is preparing the way for God the Son in the flesh. That was John's mission, to not only experience the person of Jesus, but to point to him and say, there, there he is. That's the Messiah. That's the Lamb. But what's interesting is um, bearing witness, that's not just John's mission. In fact, um, I want to bring up the, the slides again. Um, let me show you this, this verse right here. It's in John 15. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples. This is right before he's uh, betrayed. This is that Thursday night after the Last Supper. He says, and this is actually on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. It's not just John whose mission it was to bear witness. Jesus later, after they've journeyed with, all those disciples have journeyed with them, Jesus says to John, he says, and you disciples will be my witness. And then that night he, he gets arrested and he's falsely accused, but then they, the next morning they crucify him and, and they witness that he dies on the cross and he rises again, defeating death. Of course he can defeat death. He's God in the flesh. He's responsible for bringing life about. So he can defeat death. He rises again on the third day and then he appears to his disciples. And when he gets them all together, the largest group of disciples, this is recorded in Acts uh, chapter one. He says, you all will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. See, the fundamental mission of being a Christian, the fundamental mission of being a follower of Jesus, the fundamental mission of being a disciple, or the Greek word mathetes that we sometimes use, the fundamental mission of being a follower of Jesus is bearing witness to Jesus. Experiencing Jesus and sharing about Jesus. In fact, the experience is not fully completed until I share it. But in the ancient Greek word for witness, there's a, a, a third way that this word witness, there's a third thing that, 
this is associated with. See, the Greek word for witness, the ancient Greek word that is translated witness here, and it's a fine translation, but the, the ancient Greek word is marturia. And what ends up happening over the next several generations as these disciples are fulfilling their mission to bear witness about the person of Jesus is as they're fulfilling that mission, they commonly, so commonly, have to face dangers of all types on their mission. What do you mean by dangers? They're arrested. Some are abandoned, rejected, maybe by family or friends. Some are falsely accused. Some are, um, in ancient times, uh, executed in all kinds of creative ways. In modern times, some are executed, shot at. In ancient times, they, were, they had to square up to all kinds of wild animals in the Colosseum. They squared up with, and they faced those dangers, and every time, listen, they escaped with life even the ones who died. They faced up with those dangers and escaped with life. And so common was it that witness associated itself with squaring up with any danger that mission could be associated with that that word marturia was what became our word for martyr. Here's how um, one Greek lexicon puts it. It's a testimony that invites death, a martyr's death, martyrdom. It was so commonly associated with squaring off with whatever dangers being a witness might be that it became associated with martyrdom. See, this is the mission. Now, thankfully, the vast majority of us in our lifetime will face very little, if any, physical danger as we pursue our mission. So how does this, how does following the command of being a marturia, how does that play itself out in, in our lives? Well, we have to ask our question, ourselves this question. What level of priority is the mission that God, Jesus himself, has commanded of me. See, I think sometimes we kind of take our mission of be being a witness, and we're like, yes, I should do that, and then I kind of like put it in the filing cabinet. Yeah, I'll, I'll get to it. You know, if an opportunity comes up, then I'll pull that file back. In fact, sometimes it's not just in the file cabinet. Sometimes it's all the way in the back, and we have all of these other, all the cares of life, all the things that make us busy. We have all of these other files, and so we kind of put it in the very back of the filing cabinet. But can we just pause for a second and just remember, what are the things that Jesus never really commanded us to do? It's not that they're bad things. It's not that they're evil things and wicked things. It's just if Jesus never commanded us to do these things and he did command us to be a witness, then that should, inf that, that should inform how we prioritize. 
Jesus never commanded us, hey, go through life and make a name for yourself. There was never a command like, hey, give your life to being as successful as possible. That's not something he ever commanded. It's not bad if he brings that into your life, but that's not one of his commands. Jesus never commanded, hey, go through life and make as much money as you possibly can. In fact, there's a lot of warnings about making that your mission in life and that it, it will elude you. The satisfaction we're expecting eludes us. But that was never one of Jesus' commands. Finding wealth or living in a wealthy society like we do is not evil or wicked, but it was not one of his commands. Jesus never commanded us, go through life and try to create as much security, safety, comfort around you. Kind of do whatever you need to do from a health-wise, from a relational side, from a financial way. Do whatever you can to just set up just so everything is safe and predictable and controlled and comfortable. Those things are not bad, but it was not one of his commands. What was his command is live your life and be a witness. That's why this can't go in the filing cabinet. It's got to stay on the desk every day because being a witness to the person of Jesus is the mission we're called to be. It can't go in the filing cabinet. It certainly can't go in the back of the filing cabinet because that's the front line of what our mission is. And here's what he actually paradoxically promises if you seek first his kingdom, all these things will be added to you. He said, here's why you don't need to seek making a name for yourself. Because I've given you a name beyond any name this world could ever put around your neck. I've called you son. I've called you daughter. I've given you the name Christian. You're carrying the name of Christ. God thinks you're significant. What does the world have for you? Why does he say, don't chase wealth? That's what the rest of the world chases. Why are you chasing that? Your father has cattle on a thousand hills, and he says he's going to work all your circumstances to get together for good, that he wants to bless you. He wants to walk with you. That's who your father is. He will be the one to provide for you. All of it is his anyway. He says, why are you seeking after? Why are you making your number one mission comfort or, or, or security or safety? He says, I've given you all of that. You're safely in my hands. Nothing can happen to you that I cannot redeem for good and make beauty out of those ashes. Run to me, he says, your refuge and your strength and your strong tower. Those are not your mission. Your mission is to bear witness to the person of Jesus. Now, here's the number one reason that we often don't do that. We say, okay, I'd like to do that. I just don't know how. I know how to do my career. I know how to do these other things. Like, I know how to pursue those. Like, that's easy. I don't know how to bear witness. Well, let me just say to you, when is there another important thing in any of those other categories that when you didn't know how to do, you figured it out? You gave time to figure out how to do that. If there's something in your career that you did not know how to do, you gave time, resources, education, maybe years of your life working on how to do it. 
And if this is your most fundamental mission to bear witness about Jesus, if you don't know how to do it, can I encourage you, spend time. Is it not a worthwhile thing to give as much time as possible to figure out how to do it? Because it's your mission in life. Secondly, don't wait. A witness does not need to wait until they figure out how to do it in order to bear witness to something. Sometimes we think, okay, well, if I'm gonna share about Jesus, then I've gotta have theological accuracy, I've gotta know exactly how to biblically explain the gospel, and I gotta, I mean, they're gonna have questions, so I've gotta biblically know how to answer those, and I gotta make sure my whole life, you know, lives up to what I'm saying, I gotta live a good life, and I have to answer all those questions and know the Bible and, and try and express the gospel accurately, so I have theology I need to know, the Bible I need to know, I have all these things that I need to know, but that's not what a witness does. That's not the reflex of being a witness. You're on a boat, and just over your friend's shoulder, a whale breaches out. Do you wait to be able to describe what happened as a marine biologist would? I saw an aquatic mammal come out of the water in a supine position with his pectoral fins going out. No! You're like, a big fish at the splashing! You just shout out what you're seeing. You do what the blind man did. They're just asking him all these questions. The citizens of Jerusalem and the Pharisees. Well, what about this? And did this? Did you send your parents in? Well, what? come back here. Did you go to the temple? What happened? He says, look, I don't know. Here's what I know. Here's my experience. Here's the limits to what I have witnessed. I was blind. Now I see. That's the extent. That's all he's asking you to do, Christian. That's it. Yeah, but my life is not cleaned up. If you were evangelizing a religion that was all about having a cleaned up life, then you would need to have your life completely cleaned up. Because all you're explaining is, here is the way to live your best life. And see, I'm doing that. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is, I am a wreck. You are a wreck. I was wandering around in the darkness. And Jesus turned on the light. I was struggling in my marriage. I was struggling as a parent. I was a a mess in my personal finances, maybe. I was at rock bottom. I didn't have hope. I just surrendered to Jesus, and I found hope. And he's walking me out. He's making me like him. I'm not a finished product. I, I mean, if you're talking to a friend, a family member, a coworker, you've seen my life. I'm, I'm not perfect. I, I still have things I'm working on. But man, I cling to Jesus. That's all they need to hear. The people in your life, think about this, Christian. If they needed a theologian, God would have put a theologian in their life. What they need is a witness of your life. He put you in their life. He just needs you to tell them what you've experienced about Jesus and share that about Jesus. Christian, this is, um, 
the main thing that we have been commanded to do. And um, I have a, a mission for you, week two mission. Um, and I, you know, it's an important, I mean, our, ultimately our mission, you're not supposed to file in a filing cabinet, you know, and I, I think I accidentally, ironically, I think I put this mission in the filing cabinet, which I feel a little embarrassed about. But, you know, the point being, don't file your mission in the file, keep it on the desk, uh, wish I had done that, and certainly don't put that in the back of the filing cabinet, because I'm sure it's right here in the, okay, it's not in the front. Let me go to the back. I think it's, okay, it's not even in the filing cabinet. Does this open up anymore? Let me just, is it, oh, okay, there we go. I just gotta look in here for this, gotta find that mission for you, because it's important. You have to do all the missions. I don't know where this mission is. Where is that thing? I just have to find this mission. Sorry, it must all the way be in the back. This is ridiculous. I don't know where the, okay, just one last, there we go. All right, here it is. It was in the back. That's awkward. Okay, I have it for you. Just give me a minute. Just gotta put this all the way back in. That's a little excessive. Okay, you may go ahead and get your mission file in front of you. West Pines headquarters, Cooper City headquarters, there are ushers that should have your mission for you. Go ahead and don't open it yet. I told you, it's rigged. You might explode, okay? None of us want that, all right? Um, uh, we, you have to wait until the devices have been deactivated. Okay, now uh, hopefully they're passing out those files to you. Everyone needs one. It's not one per family. It's one per agent. Make sure each one of you have one of these files. I believe that is now deactivated. You can open it at your own risk. Hopefully we don't lose anyone this week. Last week was a disaster. Uh, so it was really ugly in the other service. You did not want to witness that. Okay, pull this out. Now here's the thing. Your mission is to be, bear witness about the person of Jesus. Sometimes one way you can do that is just simply invite them in to come and see what God is doing in your life with your church. That's one way you can bear witness. So here is what we want to give you to do as your mission. You have two different opportunities. Let me read it. You are needed for a special assignment. Please attend the next service ready to train hard, take risks, and learn new skills in order to complete your mission. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, invite your neighbors to the City Rev Christmas movie night happening this Friday. You find tickets inside the envelope. Um, there are two opportunities. This is one way to fulfill your, your mission of being a witness to those around you, family, friends, coworkers, neighbors. Um, we, are, we have two movie nights, one this Friday, if you're at the, both this Friday, both at 7 p.m. Um, you can come to the West Pines headquarters here. We'll be showing a movie in Cooper City. At, it is at Memorial Park. And these are ways that you can invite people to that, to invite them in. Um, listen, sometimes when we bear witness to the person of Jesus, sometimes the one of the ways that God has designed for us to do that is not only telling our story, but is to invite them into your church family. And, and they hear the message of Jesus and they're around people who have had their lives turned upside down by the person of Jesus. Part of our role as your church family is uh, to provide, our, our role together as the church is to provide opportunities to invite 
people in. This is one way you can do that. What you're commissioned this week to do, hopefully last week you've gotten to know your neighbors. Last week you found out the names of your neighbors. This week, strike up a conversation and invite them in. Hopefully, oftentimes, it's after that that you can share your story of what Jesus has done in your life because that's what every one of us, the primary mission of our life has been. You're like, well, I don't know. I'd have to think about what all has Jesus done in my life. Christian, that should be front of the mind anyway. For your own sake, for your own health, reflect regularly on what has Jesus done in your life? What is he doing right now in your life? How is he bringing you out of darkness into light? How is it during this, this season wherein you're in the valley of the shadow that you're clinging to the shepherd and while your circumstances haven't all changed, yet you find peace that you have someone to cling to? How have you seen him transform your life, save your life, give you purpose in your life? How have you seen it change your, the way you negotiate life and death because you know by the work of Jesus you'll spend eternity in heaven? Reflect on that and let that overflow and bear witness to the most incredible thing. I mean, if we couldn't help but blurt out seeing a shooting star that's there for a moment, what about the dazzling reality that you will spend eternity in the presence of God in heaven? How could we keep that in? There's some of you that are here and you're saying, look, I... I want to believe, and I want to believe today. I want to start that journey. I, I want to I know for sure that I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. I, I want to know that I'm saved. I, wanna, I, wanna, I believe. I believe he died on the cross. I believe that he rose again, I, and I, I want to make him my savior. I believe that I can't save myself. I want to make him my savior, and I'm going to make him my Lord, my king, and I'm going to give every area of my life to him. And if you're ready to take that step... I want to lead you in a simple prayer and invite you into the family of God as a child of God. Let me lead you in a prayer. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? If today you, that's you and you're ready to take that step, then just silently right there in your seat with your head bowed, maybe you're watching at home or you're at Cooper City or you're here, just silently make this your prayer to God. He hears you. He hears what's in your heart. Just say, say these words to him. Say, God, I, I believe. I believe that Jesus, his work saved me. I make Jesus my Savior. And I make Jesus my Lord. You're my King. I give it all to you. In Jesus' name. If that was your prayer just then, if you're here, we would love to connect with you. We have a Bible for you. We want to give that to you so you have your own Bible. Just go through those back doors to the front lobby and uh, just say, today I put my faith in Jesus. You can take that.
Get Connected card and give it to them and they'll give you, give you a Bible today. If um, you're watching online, you can go to cityrev.org faith. Just grab your cell phone, go to cityrev.org faith because we're gonna mail you a Bible. It's gonna ask you a few questions so we can do that. But church, we're gonna end our time by remembering who the one is that we've witnessed transform our lives. He is Jesus. His name is wonderful. He's the counselor. He's almighty God, Prince of Peace, everlasting Father. We're going to celebrate that together. Would you stand with me as we close? Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.